feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org. E-T-H-Y-K.org. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with the king of caramelization, Nick. Okay, so I think you at least got a little more creative on this one. I like that you didn't go with two words that have the same first letter. I'll take the king of caramelization, although I think it's better suited for me in the summer because I'm not really dark right now, but I think that that is the new way I'm going to describe how we tan. We don't tan, we caramelize. Well, and to be fair, I do like that, like, isn't it Marvel that all the bad guys or all the characters are the same first letter for their first name and last name? So, yeah, I mean, it happens in DC a little bit, but one of the biggest things about Marvel characters is that most of their names, some of the popular characters, start with the same first letters. So, and then you got, like, the ultimate, which is J. Jonah Jameson, and, you know, Peter Parker, it, it, Scott Summers. It, there's a lot of characters where that's the case. And it's, it makes them memorable. They're e- it rolls off your tongue easier when you say it like that. Gotcha. Well, it's getting hard occasionally to find the correct name for you other than Nick to say, but it's uh, becoming kind of fun. It, well, I, it, it takes writing the show like twice as long. Like I can write a show and it takes me tw- the same amount of time to pick the next name. I love that the complexity of naming me, which my mom figured out 36 years ago, is is more difficult than writing a show about sustainability that most people don't even understand. I love that. <laughs> and, and you know, I told you I could always give you some. Uh, I could give you. I could. I could write my own names if I had to. I don't want to. I like being surprised. <laughs> King, King Caramelization has spoken. <laughs> now, can that one go on a jersey? Sure. Yeah. I, I I'll just call myself Caramel for short. Nice. So, if you're listening right now, bear with me. I feel terrible. So I don't know if my voice is coming across stuffy or not, but I don't feel awesome. So I apologize in advance if that's how I sound. This week, it's kind of about food, but it's not. I want to talk about uh, biodegradable food packaging. So we're talking about how food gets to us and how it's packaged and how it should be packaged or how it could be packaged. And Nick is making faces and I've already oh, made oh, you upset. Oh, having a camera back is great, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, you haven't made me upset. I just uh, keep talking, keep talking. Well, because that's part of that waste factor. We've always talked about 40% of all produced food is wasted but 85% of our food is wrapped in plastic. And of that 80, or sorry, it's 84%. 84% out of that 84%, another 40% of that is just generally wasted. So not only do we have the food waste, but you got all this package waste. So it was time to start talking about how do we package foods better? Uh, No, it's time to start about how do we live better. If you eat better and stop giving money to companies that produce crap food, then you don't have to worry about the packaging because it won't exist. Well, I assume you say that because it's a regional food. If you're eating better, you're getting something from the local area. Is that what you're saying? What I am saying is that every we've had this conversation time and time again. Somewhere in the process, in the long journey throughout history, where we went from a hunter-gatherer species to where we're at now, people begin to be terrified of starving to death. And so we have prepackaged, processed, sugary garbage wrapped in plastic and a 
I mean, seriously, most of the time when you go to the grocery store, if you're going to buy like a candy bar or like a hostess or a little Debbie, whatever, it's like you have, okay, so you have your snack cake, your chocolate or your BS, whatever you're going to eat. And then it's in like a little paper wrapping or a plastic wrap that again is in a, a, a plastic wrapped aluminum wrap. I mean, it's just, there's so many levels of, of like waste and embodied energy just to get to this little morsel of food that to be honest, you shouldn't be putting in your body anyways. And I know every time I talk about this, I, I, I sound like the biggest hypocrite in the world because anyone that can see me can see, hello, I'm not the picture of health. But the fact of the matter is, is that the biggest issue that we have as a culture in terms of sustainable eating is our our food culture. I mean, we have a fast food culture that I despise. I'm actually working on a series right now for um, YouTube and Facebook and stuff about it's called fighting fast food culture. It's going to be a five part series and they're going to be, you know, cut down to small little reels. So it'll probably be like maybe 10 to 12 minutes long in its entirety. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we want to see a change, we want to see a reduction in, in our waste and our usage, we have to change the way we eat, look at food. Yeah. And that's, I think when it comes to sustainability, we always talk about kind of shrinking our footprint, bringing it back to local and doing what we can to keep ourselves from eating these foods that are coming from other continents or not because of trade agreements or political arguments, but because it's better for us to get an apple from Michigan than it is to get an apple from China. And the embodied energy side of that, which is something that I talk about all the time is that collection of energy through the whole life cycle or process of a product or service needs to be shrunk. Unless we have a completely clean energy grid with a completely clean transit option, this still matters. And I think everybody has seen that there's, uh, what was it, peaches. Peaches, and this is not all of them, and I, I don't remember the brand name and I wouldn't say it anyways, but peaches from Georgia go to China to be processed, to Venezuela to be packaged, to be sold to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Those have a lot of mileage on them. <laughs> That's a ton of well, mileage. The question is, is that when you look at fruits like that, and I'm just going to use fruits in general, because in terms of food, fruits and vegetables are really the only regional things you can really break this down to where it makes sense. Fruits and vegetables are inherently cheap. You plant a plant, and it grows, and it gives you food. Obviously, you take care of it. Obviously, you, depending on your production situation, you have pesticides and stuff like that. But the, the cost difference from you know having a peach tree versus raising a cow is drastic. But with that being said, uh, it's cheaper for us to ship bulk loads of peaches and oranges and stuff to other countries to have them processed and canned and stuff than it is to do it here. I We can get on a long political conversation as to why that is, and, and I think it's actually something that is really a good topic for another show. But I'm going to say that sometimes cheaper isn't always better and that it's beneficial. It's in our, all of our best interest just to do the more expensive like, route if it is better for us on the long run. On top of the fact that, yes, it's going to be better for the environment, less embodied energy, it's also going to be better for you. The less processing your food gets, the better off you are health-wise. You know, it's... It, it's sad to say in today's day and age between like the amount of microplastics that are in everything and the amount of um, preservatives that are in foods. Preservatives used to be salt, salt and salt and acid, you know, you could vinegars, that kind of stuff or salt. And that's all it was. Now there's so many different things that when you read the back of a, 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 a pop or a, a, a bag of chips, like there's so many things that shouldn't be in there that it's just like, how, how do we get here? I mean, because most of those things and the micro doses you're getting aren't going to hurt you. But if you were to even drink a tablespoon of some of that stuff, it's going to put you down for a long time. So, 
I mean, why? Why? How did we get here, Michael? Well, I think as food comes from further and further away, it has to be preserved in different in different ways. <laughs> it used to be that everybody bought their food from the you know quote quote unquote locals farmer market, which was just the market back in the day, and that came from that region. It came from a close area. Those quite often you would tell that farmer, I would like two chickens processed. And next week when they came back to town, you had two chickens processed. It was a much simpler time. Now we have food traveling the whole globe and you have to be able to come up with new and interesting packaging. You have to come up with better ways to preserve things because it's coming from so far away. And you hit a point on the health side. And before we move into packaging a little more, we talk about how expensive it is to eat right. But is it? Because one medical bill is generally large enough to skew that. Now, am I going to say all, all of our medical woes come from our food? <clears throat> no, but a lot of them do. A lot of them come from our diet and our way of life. And if we did kind of bring it back to more localized things, and it doesn't mean you can't have treats. A lot of towns have a bakery. You know, I would love to see candy shops spring back up. Those kinds of those kinds of industries, those cottage style industries. Here in Duran, we've got people who bake cookies, uh, amazing cookies, out of their home in a cottage industry setting. We have bakers. We have all kinds of people that we could spend that money with, and I try to as often as possible. We even have farms in a local area that sell their own meat instead of actually sending it off to be processed far, far away. So we can do that, and when we do that the packaging is dramatically different. For example, your butter. When you buy your butter, it comes in a big cardboard box and what is it wrapped in? Plastic, right? Is it plastic uh, or is it wax paper? The butter I buy? Yeah. It is a two and a half foot by two, no, three foot by three foot piece of parchment paper. It's a it's a wax coated parchment paper, so we can call it wax paper for all intents and purposes. Okay. Versus the embodied energy and ecological cost of one tub of margarine yeah uh margarine is the butter that must not be named it is the voldemort of butters as far as i'm concerned yeah it's just uh, oil but no, in, those plas- crap. in those plastic containers just the embodied energy alone for what you'll get between the two of them you bought local you get a, a biodegradable cardboard box with wax paper where if we go to the store we get a plastic that outlives us by 800 years and enough butter to handle a month. Yeah, I, I would say that the only the only drawbacks on the cardboard boxes, in terms of we talk embodied energy, I mean, it does take a lot of water to make the cardboard. And then there is a little bit of glue, and there is a, there's print on it. It's where it's been stamped with the name of the company and the ingredients and the weight and so on and so forth. But I would I would rather buy it in bulk because the, this is the way I look at it. The cardboard box I buy is not is not plastic coated. So there's the glue and there's a little bit of stuff on it. But I don't want to compare it to a tub of margarine. It's a 55-pound block of butter. Let's compare it to 55 single pounds of butter bought from the grocery store, which is 55 small plastic-coated boxes, which is 220 small plastic-coated pieces of parchment paper that each stick of butter is wrapped in that has been dyed with ink because they're all stamped and written on stuff like that, which means that there's 220 sometimes more because if you get the half sticks that doubles i mean it's it's a lot it's a lot more packaging than what we get and you can you can probably do the math if you really really wanted to to figure out exactly how much more it is versus one giant piece and all these small ones 
But when you scale that versus a tub of margarine, I, I don't, or I guess 55 tubs of margarine, it's just, it's outlandish. Either way you look at it, it's way too much. But it's a good example of what happens when you buy local versus uh, national or global, <clears throat> that they have to package these in such a way that they're air sealed and that they're able to manage sitting in a warehouse for long periods of time, where when we buy local, we can then break it up into consumable pieces, use it over the next year. I say year because it would be for me. For you, it's you're a chef. You're using butter on a regular basis. But I use butter a lot. So <laughs> it gives us that example. So now when we look at packaging, you got to keep that in mind, is that the packaging that we see every day is a reflection of where it's coming from. And even funnier yet, a large chunk of plastics are actually added at the supermarket. A lot of times they'll buy a bulk thing of apples, throw them all in a plastic bag. Well, they throw them in a plastic bag or I think the most common place that there's a supermarket, people see it but don't realize they're looking at it, is when you get when you go to a supermarket that actually like either grinds their own meat or they buy huge amounts of bulk and then they repackage it. Mm -hmm. They're gonna have those little styrofoam trays, the the plastic coated, essentially it's the same technology that you have inside of diapers, uh, but they put underneath the meat to catch the drip, like the drippings of the juices, and they wrap that whole thing in plastic and stick a couple stickers on it. So what could have been just 10 pounds of beef inside of a single bag is now, you know, 20 half pound things of beef with 20 trays and 20 wraps and 40 stickers. Like it's, it's a lot. And I understand that like to sell to the general public, it's, a little more ideal because this way they can package it up all in the morning or the night before, have it ready to go out, and they don't have to have an employee at that part of the store at all times dealing with people. Because that's one of the biggest things about supermarkets that has changed. The general store used to have people that would help you in different areas all the time. So when you had a meat counter, there was someone there that would just take them whatever meat you want, however many pounds they package it and usually paper they tape it up right on it with a marker what it was and then you would take it home versus nowadays it's all pre-done in plastic so they don't have to pay someone to be there yeah that's what i was just going to say is that any butcher i've ever been to who cuts things on the spot or makes things on the spot they wrap it in um, a, a butcher paper yeah and then we bring it home and we preserve it however we're going to where the supermarket just by default coats everything in plastic and whatever doesn't sell, they'll start marking it down until they can get rid of it instead of selling it to us in bulk or selling it to us in one big chunk. And don't get me wrong, most supermarkets have a meat counter, but the, all of the stuff that they prep out there for, for quick grab yep. is exactly what Nick said, coated in styrofoam and plastic. And there's a tremendous amount of it. You know, apples, for an example, when we go to Horrocks, one of the things I love is I can sit there and pick through and find all the ones I want, no matter what I'm buying. I can sit and pick through my apples. I can pick through my oranges, anything, because it's just a pile, just like a farmer's market. And then I put them in a, in, I don't even put them in a bag. I just put them in the top part of the cart. And when I get to the end, we put them in my hemp bags. So one of the things I do like about places like Horrocks is that you do have all your fruits and vegetables in bulk where you can go through and you can get as many as you need. Now, I don't really, okay, I'm going to say this knowing that I'm a hypocrite. I don't necessarily condone picking through to get the ones we all specifically want because depending on what I'm doing with it, I do the same thing. If I'm, if I'm cooking or using a vegetable and a fruit in a way that it needs to be showcased, like the quality of the like aesthetics, like the way it looks, then yeah, I'm going to pick the prettiest one. But if I'm just chopping up and cooking it down, I could care less. As long as it's not bad, 
I'm good. I mean, I, I, it's like, it's my kind of like my, like how would you eat your cucumber scenario? Like if I'm eating a salad, I want my cucumbers to be crisp and bold and beautiful. If I'm skinning it, seeding it and making it tzatziki sauce, I don't care if it's ugly and soft because no one's going to know. So it just depends on what you're doing with it. And, but you have that freedom there. You know, one thing that irritates me about uh, commercial agriculture and food production, and it's, it's not even commercial. We're going to call it licensed agriculture. If you're producing food for the public to purchase and you grow it yourself, if it's something that grows on a tree, if it naturally comes off and falls, it hits the ground. You're not allowed to pick it up and sell it. It has to be, you can sell it for feed for animals, but you can't, you can't sell it for human consumption. So how is that worse than an apple at the supermarket? 50 people have picked up and put somewhere else with their hands. Like I understand there's there's lots of bacteria in the soil, but I mean fifty people is fifty people. So right. it if 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 responsible people are washing their produce anyways before they consume it, why does that make a difference? Well, and it's security theater makes you feel safer when you say, Hey, if it hits the ground, we can't sell it to you. Look at our great so, uh, selection of wonderful fruits. It is just theater. It is there to make us feel comfortable instead of going through more sustainable practices because here's the deal even if you said if it hits the ground it can still be sold for human consumption you Animal can still, consumption. no i said even if you say that it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the one that sits on the counter by itself to be sold it can be canned it can be uh put into yes you know, yes it can be cooked yes so a couple of things there is a huge movement online to try to change food packaging. But what I'm learning as I read more and more, they are not going after commercial packaging. They're going after the consumer as to sell biodegradable packaging, to sell um, different forms of storing our food. So when I started looking this up for biodegradable packaging, I was looking for companies that use it. And there are a few, but they're not high revenue, high volume companies. There's a handful of small companies that use better packaging. Yes, they pay more for it, but it's part of their marketing. They can well, probably that, write it off as marketing. Well, in theory, but also, so I think it's kind of not ironic, but interesting that, you know, people are going after um, the consumer versus the trying to affect like policy to where companies would have to change the way they produce things. Instead, they're going after the the money. So it's it's an interesting way to look at things. I, I think that in theory, it makes sense. I don't know if it'll be any more effective. I think it's one of those like playing the long game kind of things. I, but I, I, I've always said this and, and I've said this, we, we've, we've had this in tons of episodes. I, I think in terms of food production, you know, looking at it like regionally is probably going to be the best option, the healthiest option in the long run. And the best, the best way I can explain this is that commercial food production is chemically halting the passage of time. That is the that is the best way I can explain it. Because really, what you're doing is you're essentially freezing an ingredient, an item in its in its natural state, and trying to slow down its degradation as it goes bad and spoils. And bacteria does what bacteria is meant to do, and that's true in wheat. It's true in all breads it's true in fruit and vegetables anything you put enough acid in or enough salt in to kill the bacteria from growing to make it last in, in okay so at what point are you no longer eating anything healthy for you at what point are you just consuming things that your body gets the bare minimum from to, to go forward i i can complain then, about this a lot and then they extend it even more by coating in plastic and reducing the amount of oxygen it's, it's exposed to yes so there's some terms out there that I started to learn really what they mean. Okay. 
and it's how and yes we always call it greenwashing but this is some of the things people say to help us buy things and by the way it's not horrible to target us because it changes habits so if companies can get us used to looking at the correct kind of things we can buy then we might buy less of the corporate stuff and then the long game corporate may change theirs but if we want to make an impact companies have to change bottom line it is not our responsibility it if we want if we want the amount of plastics to disappear off our shelves we can slowly not buy them mm-hmm. but making the companies responsible for their own waste products would be the quickest and easiest way to eliminate coca-cola would not put out as many plastic bottles if they were in charge of taking care of the bottles if all so- the bottles sent back went back to them so I, I agree with that, but I think that's an incredibly hard way to go about it um, because the way that marketing and distribution and sales are done, you know, company produces, I like to pick on snack cakes because they're my favorite. I'm, I'm a bully when it comes to those things. And don't get me wrong. I eat them. Like I, 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 I used to eat them a lot, but when, you know, a factory pumps out 10,000 Twinkies a, a day or whatever, how long it takes them to make them and they get shipped off to, you know, 500 to this store and 2000 to this store and 20,000 over here and whatever they're producing. How, how do you police responsibility for that kind of, that, that kind of waste? I mean, how, when it gets thrown away into someone's garbage and it goes in a landfill, how do you police that? I think you police it by production amount. They have to manage the same amount of waste that leaves that building. And if that means they have to have collection sites, if that means that they have to work with landfills, it means if they have to bring in other products by weight, they have to manage the same amount they put out. And what happens is, is they stop putting some of it out. They start changing their packaging. It becomes cheaper to do it right than to do it cheap. And in California, some of that stuff happens already. Okay. There's, a re- there's recycle laws and electronics and other things where the companies are actually responsible for the, the, the recycling of them. But I think it's all based in a, in, a, in a capitalist society. It has to be cheaper to do the right thing than the wrong thing, and you'll get the right result every time. So that's just kind of how some of that works. But they use certain wording to kind of throw us off the trail because we're learning that we like things done right. But you'll see 100% recyclable on a a package. And if there's two sitting side by side that look identical and one says 100% recyclable, the instinct is to go, well, crap, I'll go with the recyclable one. And the assumption that the one sitting next to it isn't recyclable. But remember embodied energy. Is it actually worth it to recycle it? Because when it comes to sustainability, there's two factors that are important. One is the amount of energy in its life cycle. How much energy did it take for it to be created, used, maintained, and disposed of? Mm-hmm. Or waste. So this Those is your, good. this is the paper versus plastic bag scenario is what yes. this is. Yes. So remember I always say in sustainability, the answer is depends. Well, it depends. Yeah. Are you worried about the 800 years of waste before it breaks down to smaller pieces and smaller pieces, because most plastics don't really, they haven't gone back to their original state. Every plastic fork you've ever used in your entire life is still sitting somewhere in the shape of a plastic fork, possibly broken in half. It takes 800 to 1,000 years before those start moving back to a, a, a chemical state. So do we care about how much energy we're using because that's all the fossil fuels in this, in this day and age? Or do we care about that there's not enough physical space for the waste? So when we look at those packaging and it says 100% recyclable, if it is 100% recyclable, because remember, there's also other little tricks and I'll get to them in a minute. It depends on how much energy it takes to recycle, 
if you put that in the recycle bin, will it be recycled? That's a very good point. Because the answer is no. If it's a plastic, well, 90% will not be. It's also no if it's anything that had food in it already. So essentially food services where recyclables go to die. Even if something is made with recyclable materials, even if something is made from recycled materials, if it goes in the recycle bin and it's got food waste of any kind on it, it gets disposed of. Now, also, just so you know, when it when it says made from recycled materials, legally, it just has to be made from not first materials. So let's say you cut plastics to account, you know, to make something and some hit the floor. You can pick those up, put them back into the system, and it's now made with recycled materials. Yeah. Even though it was never recycled once, it's not a, it's not a second. It's just mm-hmm. the scrap from the floor. So that's also misleading. There's companies out there that have taken it too far. K-Cups is, uh, you know, I never say brands, but I'll say what they are. Those little coffee K-Cups. The, the company who came up with that concept lost $10 million in a lawsuit because they called them compostable or recyclable. When, again, first of all, if you put them in a recycle bin, they don't get recycled. And if you did recycle them, it would recycle into something that isn't another K-cup, and it would take way more energy than virgin material. Mm-hmm. But just stamping it on there is almost hypothetical. And, and in the meantime, they made billions of dollars and was fined $10 million. So there's really no initiative. There's no reason to change. Uh, when they when you see on there compostable, the reality, what it's supposed to be is a material that can return to the earth within one year. But the FTC hasn't added into the hasn't added it into the guidelines yet. Okay. Which means today you can put compostable on just about anything mm-hmm. because there's no rule of what compostable means. It, legally at this moment. So as long as, long as it could go back to the earth, then you can put it on your packaging. All natural. I don't know why people think that means healthy. Arsenic is all natural. Uranium is all natural. It doesn't mean good. I think it was Hank Green that said, you know, I can sit and eat a tub of lard. Doesn't mean it's good, but it is all natural. <laughs> you know? So those kinds of things. Now, another piece about our packaging. I bought detergent sheets because it said no plastics. It had other stuff in there too, but it said no plastics. But when I opened the package and it tore, there's a plastic coating around the outside packaging. I could see through it. I could feel it. That's a plastic coating. I put water on it. It didn't dissolve. Mm -hmm. What I learned was what it says on the outside, you can change the scope and say, if I contacted that company, they would say, well, there's no plastic in the material you bought. But there isn't a package it came in. Pa- package was not part of the scope. But when it says 100% recyclable, when it says no plastics or plastic free, everything on the package, they can change the scope and say, well, we're talking about the detergent sheets. doesn't matter. So these are all things that we have to pay attention to when it comes to that packaging. But I'm learning most biodegradable packaging is consumer purchased things that we store things in. You can get paper processed, recycled containers, like your clamshells over styrofoam. Mm -hmm. But if I remember from what I saw, they're about 10 times the price of your styrofoam. They're not, I mean, uh, probably. I honestly don't know. I don't know the price difference. I generally use a, a hard reusable plastic one that, like for soul box and stuff, for single meals that can be microwaved, washed, reused as many times as you want to. Um, 
I know you can purchase the recycled paper ones. I just like plates. They they started selling the recycled paper plate. That's they're really heavy duty, um, and they're they're a little more expensive than the foam plates. Uh, but they're not. It's not a ridiculous number. I mean, I think if the, if you're paying twenty five dollars for one hundred twenty five foam plates, you're probably paying forty for one hundred twenty five recycled paper ones. So it's not a it's not a horrible margin. The boxes I have, to, I have no idea. But if we dig into the embodied energy again, it matters about waste or production. The embodied energy on recycled paper is very, very high. The amount of fresh, clean water that is used in the process of recycling paper and pressing all this stuff is extremely high. So you have to look at it more objectively when you can. Like it's hard because we want to do the right thing, we want to take the thing that is going to be better and force industry to make those changes. But in today's day and age, is it actually better? Now, if you're looking at purely on the waste side, absolutely. 100% styrofoam is is an out. It's terrible. Absolutely horrendous for the environment. It's been, it's been an, I don't know how it survived this long because it's been attacked since the 70s. But if you're looking for embodied energy, it's not necessarily out of whack for this, this recycled paper version. You know, it, it, it takes a ton of fossil fuel-based energy mm-hmm. to create it. So we, unfortunately, in our lifetime, because we have people who are resistant to change and we have politicians in leadership seats, we have to think about that until that grid changes, until our energy profile changes. We have to balance those things. Well, I think, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. I think that a thing people get hung up on is, you know, what's the right, the use of what's the right thing to do. But sometimes the right thing to do isn't necessarily right. It's just the least amount of wrong. And you're going to define your decision by what's going to hurt the the least amount. You know, like there's a, there's an interview I watched a long time ago where these, these politicians were talking with some psychologists, they're talking with um, these sociologists and they're talking, there's like 20 people in this panel and then they're, they're just bickering back and forth. And one guy leans forward and says, you can either choose to drink one poison or you can choose to drink the other, but you have to choose to drink a poison. No matter what we decide, it's bad. But what is going to do the least amount of harm and bring forth the most amount of good. And I think that in terms of sustainability, that's a great way to look at it because every one of these is an uphill battle. Every one of these is going to be a long, lengthy process. Nothing is going to be black and white. Nothing's going to be a fix quick overnight. It doesn't work like that. So with these with these things you have to weigh out, you have to, get, you have to get a little bit of an education on things. You really have to do your homework and figure out what is going to be the best choice for your family and what is going to be the easiest change for you to make in that regard. And also, and this is a big one, like don't make choices based just on that you feel you should if it's not something you can commit to because otherwise you're just going to upend, you know, your your normal day-to-day rhythm and that's just going to make you miserable. Yeah, and we get bad information on a regular basis. Indeed we do. So, for example, a large national coffee chain decided that they were going to go with strawless lids. You know, it's a lid shaped in a way that you can drink out of the cup so that it's, you know, it's just as easy as using a straw. The difference was, and it was a big national campaign. We're getting rid of the straws. We're done with the straws. It's a sipping cup. Well, it is. But what happened was the lid that they purchased used more plastic than the existing lid and the straw combined. Well, yeah. I mean, that means they're going to create a whole new assembly line or a new factory production from one thing. Yeah. So, you, well, on t- well, 
in the factory side is a difference because you have you're getting rid of one lid you're getting rid of one straw and you're gaining one item but they're using more material than both of them combined so there's there was this big hoopla of the wonderful things that they are doing but now they're actually using more by ounce plastic well yeah i know and i i don't doubt that but also what i was getting at is is the factory side but they're not really you're not really getting rid of one and one most of the time, and maybe I'm wrong, but most of the time, these these lids and these straws aren't necessarily unique to certain, you know, companies. Oh, we're not going to be using this anymore. There's still five other companies that use the same by thousands and thousands, so it's still being produced. So you're just adding production to something already being made. So it's it, it, there's it'd be one it would be it would be one thing if the company had something completely unique to it where they all they alone controlled the production process, which I believe is illegal, and um, which is a ridiculous but that's a whole other conversation and decided to, to halt and, and move a different direction and then if the direction was really positive that'd be great but i mean it's there's a few giant food distribution companies in this in in this world and and they're honestly mike they just kind of all produce and sell the same crap i was gonna mm -hmm. swear i didn't but they all they all sell the same straws they all sell the same cups the same liners the same bs papers like it's up it, it's it's got to be a change in culture man the I think the best thing to do is look for things. If you're going to look for something that is plastic wrapped, if you will, mm -hmm. and you're buying something that you, you don't have a lot of solutions other than that, look for something that has packaging you can reuse. Because I think what I've decided in my research is it's nice that we have biodegradable options. It's not nice that companies haven't started using them. It's not, I don't think many people are composting these items. They're just throwing it into their trash can saying, hey, when it makes it to a landfill, at least it's going to break break down. Mm -hmm. But it never gets that far because they incinerate it. So it doesn't necessarily go back to the earth as intended. That we're kind the air of, we breathe. Yeah, kind of, we're kind of in that moment in society where it's a great idea, but in practice, there's a miss. And it's great that if we're choosing to use you know, paper to wrap our own stuff up in the fridge for the for the one day it's going to be there. Or, but we can take some of these. Like if you get processed lunch meat, one of them comes in a baggie, one of them comes in what you would call a storage container. You just use that storage container every single time you can. That's the Tupperware. Yeah, you just try to find a use for a lot of these things that are waste. I've said it time and time again. All I'm trying to do is reduce how much leaves my property. And we're at a point now where we can take the trash out every other week, sometimes even every every third week, in the attempt of consolidating our plastics by breaking and or using what we can or what I'm allowed to. Because sometimes Jamie gets a little annoyed by the ex excessive amount of things that I can collect at times. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not an Azarian at all. Well, it's not cars. It's just containers, and it's, it can it, be used. It's a need to, there's no reason to get rid of it. I'll need this one day. I'm going to keep it. And I've it's even a, got, I think Jamie would have tolerated it, but now we've got people in the neighborhood bringing me like little plastic <laughs> yogurt cups. Like, oh, you're going to plant all these plants come spring. Here you go. And all she sees is all these stacks of yogurt cups and different things. She's like, what, what is this? So when I come out at, when it's time to plant, I'm, everything's planted in what other people call garbage. It's in, you know, little butter containers, yogurt containers, all kinds of things. Listen, that's perfect stuff for that, though. I mean, like, so the, the thing that I think is, is 
I'm not going to say funny, but comical, I guess, is another way to get around that, uh, would be that you can go to the store and buy all these planners to start your garden and all these things, or you could just like save the cupcake container you got today. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's it's the same thing. It doesn't have a pretty green label on it that says like new garden starter kit twenty nine ninety nine. It's just it's like a you you bought three dollar cupcakes, you ate the cupcakes, now you got a plastic clamshell that holds six spaces. Yeah, and- well, and Addison was like, "Hey, this one's cracked." I'm like, "Perfect. That's called self draining." Now they won't drown. Right. You know. So I just use them until they completely fall apart, and then I will have to dispose of them. But that's. I think the real answer is buy local, avoid packaging where you can. You know, when you're at the supermarket, you don't actually have to put the produce in the bag. They give you those little plastic bags to keep everything separate. You don't actually have to do that. You just put them in the front part of the cart. And when you get to the end of the line, they'll put them in a bag. We don't have to have the bag within the bag within the bag. Yeah, that's a very hard concept for people to grasp. Like it really is. When I when I go to the grocery store and I get to the I get to the kit the checkout and I'm putting stuff on the belt depending on what store I'm at and the lady's just staring at me as like one apple, it's like one carrot, it's like one bunch of cilantro, and nothing has a bag. I'm like, why would I? Why? Or if I do, I'll put everything in one bag and then they get irritated because they have to take it out and scan it all separately anyways. Yeah. (laughs) So. I had bought those hemp bags, which work really well. So when they come through, when they're done, we put them in a little hemp bag so they're easier to carry inside the house, and we mm-hmm. move on about our day. The fact is my oranges have a cover on them already. My mm-hmm. cucumbers have a cover on them already. My apples, I eat that cover. But guess what? It has a wax food-grade cover over it that I can wash off and then eat my apple. Like, it, that, that, we don't have to do that. I don't know where that happened, but we don't have to do that. So eating local, pulling things by hand. Uh, of course, I would say everybody create your own edible landscape so you could just pull from anywhere. But avoiding the packaging is, of course, the easiest and first thing to do. The next one is if you're going to a butcher, bring your own. You're going to take it home, unwrap it, and put it in your own things anyways. Bring it with you. You know, there's things that you can do to minimize. And when we're shopping in public, it is what it is. There's there's only so much that isn't wrapped in massive amounts of plastic. Try to pick something that you can reuse and reuse it over and over and over and over again. Because every time we use something a second time is one less thing we bought. And it reduces that total embodied energy by by expanding its life cycle. Like I get picked on on a pretty regular basis that my plastic uh, cutlery in my office here at Dabble is the same three pieces of uh, cutlery I've had pretty much since I've opened Dabble. I just wash it, throw it back in there. I'm thoroughly surprised you can make it last that long. I, I, I'm i just kind of a brute. I struggle with plastic forks so badly. I break them all the time. <laughs> so, well, and that's another thing for another day, which is we reduce the amount of materials to the point where they're no longer functional in many cases. But that's a whole different show for a different day. So, Thank you all. I appreciate you guys listening to us babble along about this stuff. I really thought researching biodegradable food containers and packaging was going to lead me down a trail of, hey, look at all these companies doing wonderful things. Look at all these options we have. We're not there yet. We're not really quite there yet. And I know someone's going to send me a message and kind of get on me. But the reality is by the embodied energy side, not the waste side. We're not in a space so in society yet 
where that is a huge win. Soon as Procter and Gamble, soon as you know all these other large companies, so as a like the Unilevers and all them in the world, they once they start using something like that, once our landfills stop catching everything on fire that isn't sorted out in advance, you know, once we start recycling with renewables energy in our energy grid, things will change. But today, avoidance is the best thing we have. So we appreciate your listening. I think that's pretty much all I had for today. If you are one of those people who tries to buy local, look for cottage industry. Look for people who are craftsmen of food in your area. Look for the farmer's market. Take a, take a, an hour and go pick up some stuff there. Produce stands, all these different ways we can avoid large chains. If you get that opportunity, try it. You might actually find that the flavor is better. You may find that the quality is better. So that's all we have for you this week. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. If you really want to help realistic sustainability, we all know what to do. Five-star reviews. You can do it on Spotify now, or you can still do it on iTunes. Every one of those that you guys do helps us out tremendously. It helps us kind of sneak into the algorithm so other people, when they type in sustainability, we're one of the shows that pop up. And remember, also, if if we ever release this video, I've been starting to drink out of my do is greater than say realistic sustainability cup. Thanks, Aaron. Those are going to be on the site pretty soon. And remember, yes, all of the realistic sustainability merch, none of it is sustainable, but we make it sustainable by by only having local business, small business do it. So this is a person we know who makes these cups by hand and makes amazing amazing quality cups. Nick's is coming soon. You'll see his sparkly little bit, little bit, big bit pretty soon. And you'll see t-shirts and stickers and all that stuff is done by people we know. So thank you all for supporting this show and all the things you do. And remember, we only get together each week to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. I'm Mike. And I'm Carmel. (laughs) And we will see you next week.